Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our discipleship class. And today we are studying from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1 and Chapter 66. 
title of this chapter is The Power of Satan. Ooh, does it make you shudder? The Power of Satan. Uh, I'm going to ask Percy uh, Wellington, would you give us a word of prayer? Sure. Father God, Lord, just a moment with thee. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to open your word, to study, to learn, to progress. Lord, we ask that as we review the statements and the comments made, Lord, and as we uh, compare them to your word, Father, we ask that you would lead us by your spirit, that we may be uh, driven into truth. We thank you now, Father, for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Um, so this chapter is called The Power of Satan. And the very first sentence, I had a problem with it. <laughs> it says, fallen man is Satan's lawful captive. What does that make you think about, anybody? What, what does that make you think of? Or how does that make you feel? We are Satan's lawful captives. Uh, when I listened to it, when I when I saw that thing, man, it kind of made me made me kind of eerie. But then I had to re- reflect back to what the good Lord says, because though I may be His captive in terms of a situation or something that happened, God says that He's faithful and just to forgive you of all sins and and, and so and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so it brought me back. Uh, to reality that I don't have to remain. It's just a statement. But that statement can be very true if I uh, tend to just dwell in it. Mm. You know what I think about? I think about the fact that the wages of sin is death. And when man sinned, that meant that death was um, our sentence. So that made us Satan's lawful captive. You know, we, we mm-hmm. know that in Revelation, we're going to finally say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And so Satan has has captured loved ones that we know, you know, friends that we know, um, people that we know have all fallen under the captivity of Satan. And so... Right. And so that's what it makes me think of that lawfully because the wages of sin is death. We are all eventually, you know, well, most of us, maybe we're going to be his captives. But as you said, Percy, uh, we are so thankful that we have a savior. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to stay that away. And it says the mission of Christ was to rescue man from the power of his great adversary. Man is naturally inclined to follow Satan's suggestions and he cannot successfully resist so terrible a foe unless Christ, the mighty conqueror, dwells in him, guiding his desires and giving him strength because God alone can limit the power of Satan. Have you ever tried to resist the devil and resist sin and temptation in your own power? What I was thinking when you had read that first first paragraph was Mm -hmm. at the beginning, we were Satan's captives, but then Christ came to redeem us from his power so that now all who accept Christ are no longer under under Satan's power. Because as you are about to say, only through Christ can we ever uh, resist the devil's temptations. So we're no longer his captives when we accept Christ. So let me ask the question. 
believe what you just said. Why are there so many Christians that say, oh, Christian, we're going to sin. You know, there's nobody that's sinless or we're going to sin. So I hear that all the time. Where it's basically giving Satan more power than God by saying that we are captive and we will always be his captives because we live in the, in a in a defeated attitude. So if a person thinks that they can't not live above sin, you will never try to attempt something that you think in your mind is impossible to do. That's the danger of that of that theology that is so pervasive in amongst the uh, church. Mm. I agree. The um, second, third sentence in the at the start of it says that we are inclined to follow Satan's suggestions and we cannot successfully resist him unless Christ dwells within us. So many people who feel that they can't resist because they're not allowing Christ to guide and direct them and we have not fully surrendered to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. I've always said that if we do everything the Holy Spirit asks us to do, then we would live a sin sinless life. Mm-hmm. You know, struggling to do so and so there will always be on the earth because not everyone has successfully given their entire life to christ you know that's an interesting question as well as an interesting statement um made by paul and as well as me because even though you know you don't want to live in that such a defeated mindset uh some of the reality is, is that you have fallen and you have had to again ask God's forgiveness. You know, it'd be it'd be a wonderful thing if truly we all could literally, or not could, but have literally lived up to that standard where we have not sinned. Um, but such is the reality that you know that's why Christ is in that position to make uh, uh, to intervene for those sins that we have fallen. In fact. Um, there will be sins that um, we may not even necessarily be aware of, uh, but that God has covered. Glad that you correct first. You're about to say, if we could, we can, or God would not right. would not ask us to be holy as He is holy, or to exemplify Christ in all that we do. It's not His exactly. fault because, again, we're weak and sinful. And we just really have to just throw ourselves on the cross and allow Christ to live through us instead of trying to live ourselves. I think that is so true. And having been born in sin and shaping in iniquity, our strength is in reliance on Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, midway down that paragraph, it says Satan is preparing his deceptions that in his last campaign against the people of God, they may not understand that it is he. You know, uh, there's that scripture in the Bible that says, if it were possible, he would deceive even the very elect. So what does that say about the condition that the very elect have to be in as far as state of mind or as far as um, spiritual connection? Well, you have to realize that your your only power is through God. 
because we're born mm -hmm. in sin and shaped in iniquity, our regular inclination and proclivity is to sin. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. E. Cleveland said, if you die once, you're gonna, if you're born once, you're gonna die twice. If you die twice, you uh you you uh if you die twice, then you will live once or whatever it is. Anyway, you gotta be born again. You gotta you gotta die mm -hmm. to yourself and you have to mortify the flesh and every day you have to relinquish your will and give it to Christ. When he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, you can do all things through me, but without me, you can do nothing. And I think the frustration for Christians are, is that we try to live apart from Christ. We get, mm -hmm. you know, it says, he that thinks he standeth, take heed lest he fall. And Satan is so cunning that he will let you get some victories just so you can feel self-supportive, you know, get some some false confidence and think that you can live this thing by yourself and just be a moral uh, person. You know, you don't have to have Christ not to kill somebody or steal, you know, mm. and you think that you're living in the path of Christ. But Well, but, but, but now do you really have to not have Christ? Because according to the second covenant, he's written his law on our hearts. So there are a lot of quote unquote good people who are living their lives without Christ. Well, well, you know, they're not they're not living their life without them. They may think they are, right. but it's in their law in their hearts. They are living with right. them, but they just don't know it. Just like right. one of the next right. chapters, it talks about people don't believe the devil exists. And that's one mm -hmm. of the tricks ever. When you don't think a person exists, then you attribute everything you do to yourself. In my opinion, mm -hmm. is the root of all sin because we want to do what we want to do. So a person might think they're doing all these good things by themselves, but truly they're not. Because as you stated, we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We have no clue how to do righteous things, except mm -hmm. leads us. You know, at the end, yeah, Jesus is going to tell people uh, when they say, Lord, didn't we do all of these wonderful works in your name? And he can say, yeah, you did it in my name, but you didn't do it for me. Huh. You know, mm. depart from me, you worker of iniquity. That work that you thought was good, I look at it as iniquitous. Mm -hmm. Well, to, to, to coin a phrase, part of a phrase that your, your president uses, fake Christians. <laughs> mm -hmm. The fake part. <laughs> Everybody you know, Karen, <laughs> you know, Karen, what? in answer to that question that you asked, mm -hmm. you know, you, you have to go back and reflect to those individuals uh, like an Enoch. Or, or, or uh, a Moses, or in, uh, in Elijah. You know, you have to understand, or we have to come to that understanding that it didn't say it was impossible. All things are possible through Christ Jesus, and the mere fact that Enoch walked with him until he walked up out of here, it didn't say that Enoch was without sin. Right. He sinned, but he got to a place in his relationship with Christ that God was able to take him. Likewise with Elijah and likewise with Moses, uh, even though Moses saw death. Uh, so that, that in and of that statement, dealing with uh, those uh, in the end time, if it was possible, I think that God is going to have a people that will get so in tune in his, their relationship with him 
that that would, that statement would be very well true if it were possible. But they're so close and related to God, they're not budging. Amen. And that that that's a point that we all need to get to. That we're so close to God. And I'll use a phrase that Elder Brown used sometimes that we stand for the right though the heavens may fall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one of the things okay. too is realize <clears throat> that we're all saved by grace, not at work. So it's only the grace of God that saves anyone who's never been on this planet is only going to be saved mm-hmm. by the grace of God, not of anything they did personally. Right. Absolutely. Right. Uh, further down near the uh, middle of that paragraph, it says Satan knows better than God's people the power that they can have over him when their strength mm. is in Christ. When they humbly entreat the mighty conqueror for help, the weakest believer in the truth, relying firmly upon Christ, can successfully repulse Satan and all his hosts. And then now at the bottom, it says Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't come in openly boldly. He comes in cunningly. Uh, and then... Um, he comes in unperceived and works in disguise through the children of disobedience who profess godliness. So that means that there are Christians among us who um, they're really disobedient. I mean, for all practical purposes, when they come to church, they appear as if they are, you know, godly or whatever. But in their in their lives, they're they're disobedient to, to God. And Satan is going to come in through them and work in disguise um, through them and in them um, to, to, to accomplish his ends and accomplish his goals. But I thank the Lord that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, right? Yes. I like that first part where it talked about how Satan knows better than God's people the power that they have over him. Mm-hmm. And I, I read somewhere where it said angels marvel at the fact that we pray so li- little mm-hmm. when when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouse. Mm-hmm. So all the power we have to overcome Satan is right at our fingertips, but we don't avail ourselves of everything that God has available to us. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Okay. How is it... Um, that we don't avail ourselves to it? And how are we supposed to avail ourselves to all that power? <clears throat> so let's, let's address the first question first. And I guess that's more of a why don't we avail ourselves of it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that part of it is, um, you know, and, and I always say it like this, Satan doesn't care how he gets us to be lost, just that we are lost. So he doesn't care that we're not out there pulling out a, 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 a AK, what is it, AK-57 and shooting people in the street. 47. 47. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he doesn't care that we're not doing that. He just cares that we're neglecting spending time with God and spending time in the word. And and we know that that the word is truth and that that's what will change us into his image so he doesn't care that we're not doing just just those radical you know big ticket sinful things as long as we're simply just neglecting to spend that time with god whatever we're spending the time on that's how we're becoming changed because by beholding we become changed 
So if we're not spending time in the word, we're not spending time praying and fasting, then whatever we are spending time on, that's how we're being changed into that image, which is not going to save us. I'll put it like that. Also, I think that I think people have a tepid religion. They're more comfortable being in a lukewarm state. Uh, they're too smart to be totally out of the church to go cold, but they they, they have not um, relinquished the world enough to go to be all the way hot for God. So they want the world and they want God at the same time. That's why God says, choose you this day who you're gonna serve. You cannot serve two masters. You're gonna have to pick which side. God says that if you're not for me, you're really against me. So it's no neutrality. So he said, all those that will come after me will suffer persecution. Naturally, we don't wanna be persecuted, but that just takes the, the power of God, say, Lord, give me a clean heart, you know, and renew the right spirit of God within me. We have to re first recognize our position, our sinfulness and our selfishness and uh, self-centeredness and uh, just ask God to take that from us. Mm -hmm. so and, it, and also it goes back to the, the very onset of this lesson. And it started off to say, man is naturally inclined to follow Satan's suggestions and he cannot successfully resist so terrible a foe unless Christ. And so in answer to that question, Paul said it uh, in, in his writings, he said, those things that I should do, I do not, but those things that I should not do, I find myself doing simply because of his carnal nature, our nature to do so. But we have to get to that place, as we stated earlier, our relationship has to be such that it is so in tune with God that the spirit of God will give us the, 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 uh, the weaponry to fight against uh, his, his, um, his throne, his, whatever he's throwing at us. So what would our lives be like or our behavior be like if we were um, using this power to overthrow Satan? What would it be like? What would our lives look like? I would I like to say it looked just like Enoch. We'd be walking up out of here. <laughs> I think, I think that, you know, that would be God's prerogative, Percy, whether or not to take us like he took Enoch. But I think that if he chose not to take us and to use us as lights in the world, which really is our, is our, is our mission to be lights in the world, I think that a large part of that would be um, earnest prayer. We would spend more time in prayer because the more prayer is more power. And, um, I think that we would make it, um, we would schedule it in our day. I'll put it like that. And we would be proactive about prayer rather than, oh, something happens, so we go pray about it. Or we hear somebody has gotten sick or somebody, you know, whatever, lost their job or whatever. And we pray about it after the fact instead of praying before the fact. I heard last Can I, night, um, they were asking the question, why? why isn't the church being persecuted right now? And um, one man answered and said that there's really, Satan really isn't worried about persecuting the church because the church is doing its bidding. You know, they're asleep right now and there's no reason for him to persecute the church right now. So to answer uh, uh, Lakita's question, I think that uh, Satan would be more aroused if the church 
uh, resembled and utilized all the power that is available to us. I think things would look much differently than what we see right now. Um, can, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, let me add to, add to it as well. Um, I, do, I do believe that if, if, we, if we should, should, um, should just should, should get just a touch of that power, you know, and our lives are changed, you know, it would be something that we, we can't even fathom in our humanness. Um, can you just imagine um, the disciples while they were in the upper room, you know, and, and the spirit came down upon them. The, the work that they perform at that moment after is totally different from what transpired before. So I think, I think in, in, in our situation, if, if we should, should, should get a touch of that spirit, then today, even our church, our pews would be filled with people. You know, this injustice that is going on, it wouldn't be going on. You but know, I think- let me expound on what I why I said we, it would be like us, like Enoch walking up out of here. Because I took your question to mean the, the church at large, the body of the church as a whole. And if that is indeed the case, then we have become Enoch and we're spreading this gospel like wildfire. God said that this gospel will go into the world as a witness and then the end shall come. If indeed that is the case and we have received that power, that option as a whole, there is no way this world is going to last. God has, if the message will go so swiftly and quickly that he would come because every soul would have had their opportunity. And so that's why it would be as of Enoch. Well, I have something to say about that too, how things would look or what would church be like as not as in a four wall, but what would the body of Christ look like? I believe there will be calamities because it's prophesied that we are going to have wars, we're going to have disease, pestilence. Everything is going to occur what God had already um, uh, prophesied about. I think the church back in the day when the disciples became one on the Pentecostal day, um, there was healing. There were people that were coming into the church. I think that would be pretty much how we would see the church today if we would pray unceasingly. We would be able to walk into the hospitals, into homes of the sick, into the homes of those who are mentally um, um, conditioned, those who are, are um, suicidal. We'll be able to speak life into their lives. It would be a, 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 com a drone. You know, that's what I would, I would think would happen as far as what the church looked like, how our lives would be changed as a result of God living within us um, on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute minute time. The Lord says that the power that he had, we have available to us, and those miracles would occur like everybody's been saying, and power would attend all of our words. One of, the thing, one of the reasons why that's not happening uh, is read in that paragraph that you ended with, Karen, about the drowsy enthusiasm of Christians. Many Christians are just slowly uh, walking through life thinking the devil's not after them and that we have plenty of time and we can just take it easy and the Lord's going to work everything out without us doing our part. Uh, Dr. Richard Williams had the phrase, 
the zombaic state, Christians walking around like zombies, half dead, half alive, but not fully alive for Christ. And when we're not fully alive for Christ, uh, it's because we're not concerned about having his spirit. And like Peter was pointing out, we're not praying for it. As uh, promised us, if you ask for his spirit, he's more willing to give it to us than a ch uh, father gives gifts to his children. So it's not him that's holding back, is that we're not prepared to uh, handle that amount of power and accept it. You know, it's so interesting that our pastor, our former pastor, preached a sermon today about our duty to um, oppose injustice. And I think about the fact that um, as Christians, you know, I, I heard a sermon um, not too long ago about our duty as Christians um, to be a light in the world, basically, but to get up, stand up and speak up. And it sounds like what you all are alluding to is that, you know, we need to wake up and we need to do the work that Christ has designed for us to do so that all of this stuff, you know, truthfully, we know that we're going to have to go through the little time of trouble and the big time of trouble. Um, on this earth because it's been prophesied but what if we could cut that short because of our witnessing who says that it has to be a long time i'm really happy that you brought that home to talk about what we're supposed to be doing i really like i think we missed a great opportunity in this class when we don't spend time thinking about us the people who are here in this class are the people who are, I believe, trying to seek and find the answers. And the answers are not out there. We not, I, I don't think we can really look out at, let's say it like this, if we keep the message off there towards those people out there, other members in the church other than ourselves, the change is not happening within us. The goal has to be, let's look at me. What am I not doing that I don't have that power that they're talking about? So even though I may phrase the question in what are we doing or what will it look like when, you know, it's done, when, when it's done, it's what will I look like when I am filled with this spirit, when I have this power that God is talking about? Because I, me personally, I can truly testify that I don't have this power that God is talking about, that I recognize that I am, you know, uh, when the pastor was talking about justice, you know, I reflected on myself and what exactly am I doing at this point, you know, to promote justice or to promote well-being with others and stuff. And I think that's where this book, these messages is about us, the people on this line on, and on this, in this um, opportunity and those out there watching, you know, it, it, we cannot walk away from here and think, yeah, the church, they out there, when the Pentecostal hit, I was reading that between, um, right before we got on, Thousands were claimed into the faith in a day, you know, thousands, and we have that power. So since I know me, I have not brought in a thousand in the whole time I've been in church. I'm not even mentioning how many years it's been. Um, so what am I not doing? And what do I need to do to change things so that I can be about the work that God has appointed me to be about? Well, I think when you pose the question, what if? We, what if, that to me, I have to come up with a scenario 
are a reality in my imagination of what if. If you had posed the question just like you said a moment ago, what do we want to do or what, what is it that we need to do to have that dunamis power to go into the community to um, heal it? In Jesus' name, how do we come? How do we get to that point in our walk individually? Well, I think part of the answer to that question, of course, is prayer. But I think the other part of it is mustard seed faith. Because if we just have faith the size of a mustard seed, we will be able to say to this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done. And so that begs the question of why don't we have that kind of faith? And how do we get that kind of faith? You know, we, it, it's, it's all well and good to say, I'm a Christian. You know, I go to church. I believe in the word of God. Uh, and like the rich young ruler, I've done all, I've tithed and I've done all these things from my youth. But Yet we don't have that power to say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea. So that says that there's something lacking in our walk with Christ because we don't have that kind of power. Now to answer the question of, and Jesus asked when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? Mm. Well, he should find it in his people because he also says that his people will be able to do greater things than he did. And so we should be able to walk through a hospital and heal everyone in the hospital. We should be able to do things that because he was, um, he was not omnipresent when he was on this earth, but yet um, because knowledge has increased, we can go be anywhere in the world sitting in our own living room, like right now, or sitting in our own house, like right now. And so the, 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 the question of that vital connection with Christ, you know, that the Psalms 91 starts off and says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high. Well, what is the secret place of the most high? That is that place of quiet prayer with God and that prayer life with God. That's, that's the secret place. And then above and beyond that, that mustard seed faith. And I think if you combine those two things, you know, there's not, there's not gonna be a whole lot the devil can do against you that the Lord would even allow. And that faith, the question is, okay, how do you get that mustard seed faith? Well, Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be listening to the word of God. We need, we got these, you know, we got these, uh, these devices now that, we have Bibles on. Take some time every day, and it could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Listen to the word of God. Thanks. Okay. Um, if anybody else doesn't have any other comments, let's move on down. It's talking about the power of Satan uh, down in the bottom of the second paragraph, I think it is. And it's basically saying, she's basically saying that if Satan's power and subtlety were understood, many would be prepared to successfully resist him. And all of us should understand that Satan was once an exalted angel. 
His rebellion shut him out of heaven, but it didn't take away any of his powers and it did not make him a beast. And so um, since he, since his fall, he's grown more artful and he's learned the most successful manner in which to come to the children of men with his temptations. Um, so That's going a good on. point, Karen, that sometimes we think we're smarter than Satan or we think that he's not all that smart, but he was the third smartest in heaven, exalted mm -hmm. angel, you know, Absolutely. the cherub. And as you said, he hadn't lost that power. He's limited where he can go, but we are no match for him, which is again, another reason we have to stay prayed up because we just cannot defeat him on our own. It's only through the power of God that we'll ever be able to resist his temptations. And many people struggle with different addictions and problems and troubles and trials that they just cannot get rid of because it, you can only get rid of it through the power of God. And uh, down a little bit lower, it's, it's gonna repeat the verse. These things come only by fasting and prayer. It takes a committed prayer life, a committed desire to be like Christ. And we continue to advance in knowledge of his word as well as uh, knowledge of holiness and holy living. Okay. Um, let's go down to paragraph 342.2. She starts to talk about the, the, I guess, the mechanisms through which Satan deceives people. One of them, of course, being trampling underfoot the fourth commandment, the Sabbath of God. Uh, another one, the immortality, in the next paragraph, the immortality of the soul. And she talks about the dreadful and terrible results of that. People believing that the that the that that the soul is immortal, and you know you hear that preached so often at funerals. Uh, that person is up looking down from heaven and all that kind of all that kind of thing. And then next paragraph, she talks about the fact, and I think you brought this. One of you all brought this up that there's no literal devil. And that there's going to be probation after Christ comes the second time. And uh, these are just fables that the that the enemy has has put out there. And then down in the next paragraph, paragraph three forty three point one, she starts talking about spiritualism. And at the bottom of that paragraph, that it comes so direct from his satan. She's talking about spiritualism. Comes so direct from his satanic majesty that he claims the right to control all who have to do with it, for they have ventured upon forbidden ground and have forfeited the protection of their maker. That's a shuddering thought to think that, you know, I always used to hear that uh, if you go into a bar, the angels of God don't follow you in there. But this is saying, and, and that was debatable, but this is saying that when you, when you venture onto the ground of spiritualism, you forfeit the protection of your maker. Any comments on that? No, I don't think, uh, Karen, that people actually um, know when they stepped on to that ground sometimes. I mean, I, I don't know. They may not really fully understand, well, we may not fully understand sometimes what, um, where that line of demarcation goes for example with the yoga and then you have the eastern religion behind the yoga you know so you just never know where you go are you just doing poses 
because they have one, you know, that you salute the sun or whatever, all these different names for stuff. So, yeah, you know, sometimes the demarcation is not that clear, but it doesn't mean that God, you know, God still is not with us when we go on it, I guess. Well, the Bible says at times of ignorance, God winks at sin, but when you know the truth, then he's commanding you to repent. So like Lakita's saying, there's a lot of people who are on Satan's ground and don't know it because they think they're just doing what they want to do. One of the things that Satan's tricks work so well, the immortality of the soul, um, second probation, all that, because those are things that people want to believe in. Like who wants to believe that their mother is not in heaven? And who wants to believe that they don't get a second chance? You know, all those are things that people want to believe in in the first place so it's a lot easier for them to fall for those tricks but again we just have to with prayer and supplication continue to ask God to open our eyes to the spiritual reality of the things that we experience in life everything we're going through has a spiritual connotation to it and many times we don't see it or know it until it's too late I don't think there's anything that we go through that doesn't have that doesn't cause us to make a decision for or against Christ in some kind of a manner, the way that we uh, make our decisions, we're either getting closer to Christ or we're getting farther away. So we and I, I understand I'm, that there is the hidden agenda of Satan is alive and well because there are so many corrupting influences in our world today that we are, are uh, it's not really, uh, it's imperceptible because we've been become so desensitized to its corrupting influence, such as the things that we're entertained with the movie industry uh, is steeped with spiritualism. Uh, uh, cartoons. cartoons even, they get the children. Uh, I was looking at one of my, my grandson's uh, little cartoon and, I, and it, was, it was spiritualism, you know, but they made it very entertaining you look at the, the game industry, uh, uh, the music industry, all these things, we have to realize Satan is the little God of this world. So all the major entertainment uh, industries are run by and influenced by the enemy to destroy our minds. And so that's why God says you have to be sober and vigilant. You can't walk through this world just drifting like the drifters, you have to realize that there's an enemy trying to corrupt your mind. It says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what you allow to come in your mind influences and controls your actions. Yeah, well, I would even take a... off of what Paul was saying, Karen, mm -hmm. uh, the statement here is so profound. It says, uh, he knows that they are surely his while he has them under his special control. It says, but that if they once free themselves from this, his power, he can never bring them again to believe in spiritualism and to place themselves so directly under his control. So it says the only way for such poor souls to overcome Satan is to discern between pure Bible truth and fables. And it says, as they, not, as they acknowledge the claims of truth, they place themselves where they can be helped. In other words, as Paul was saying, when you give your whole mindset over to the Holy Spirit, the leading and dying of the Holy Spirit, 
that is the point that uh, he no longer has that control of that power. Um, how do you get there? You just have to find that will. We have to find that will, that desire to surrender ourselves fully and wholly over to Christ. Sister Karen. Yes. Hello, everybody. I know I came in late, but I said um, I kind of was, you know, watching TV and it, the commercial popped in. And I think, you know, um, I think it was like Thursday night around 1030. There was a commercial that popped in and it had a gentleman and they were showing different people that had been going to this psyche. And this gentleman was like, well, she said I'm going to own uh, some kind of exercise thing. And I mean, I, I, I seen that and I said, People are reaching out for things, and Satan is right there to make them think that, you know, and, and you know, I like I said, the man, you know, he was like, well, she, how did she know that? And she said that I'm going to own my own place. And I thought, well, if you're following the Lord, the Lord is going to bless you if that's, if that's what, you know, that God sees fit for you. But in his mind, this psychic lady told him this, and he just couldn't believe it, and they got these other people saying, and it's just, you know, she's right on target. And I thought, but isn't the Bible right on target if you're reading and studying? Um, can I add to, let me, let me add um, to what was said. Sister White mentioned in the book, um, the great controversy under, under the topic snares of Satan. She said that um, Satan, as a skillful lieutenant, he, 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 he strategized and he, he, he's been observing humanity for over 6,000 years now. He, he, knows, he knows when we are most vulnerable. And, and when a person, when a person loses their loved one, they are vulnerable to any sort of information. And so at that point, the devil will use his agents to convince those who are at their vulnerable point to believe the error of spiritualism. And um, I think it is, it is on our part because at that point, we as believers should, should, should be so drawn, drawn to those persons to comfort them with the word of God and give them the assurance that even in the midst of death, there's still hope. But, but sometimes, you know, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't be the person to, to give those encouragement. You know, I've seen persons who, who really believe in God and believe in Christ. And at the point of losing a loved one, you know, they said that, you know, their loved one is in heaven. You know, so, so, so even at that point, I, I realized that, man, the devil is a liar. And he's so cunning. He's so cunning. Absolutely. So this is my question for the class, um, based on what Percy read, is that, you know, she said, if they find a way to free themselves and they'll never be brought under Satan's power again. So my question for the class is, when Satan has pulled a cloak of darkness around someone, how do they even begin to um, discern truth or light? It takes, I believe it takes some, um, it definitely takes prayer. But I think also we have to be, for those of us who are standing by, um, we have to do our inter 
what is it intercede intercessory prayer we have to be praying for people because the darkness is really really dense you know there's just sometimes when you're talking to a person and they really you can see they just really don't understand or they're so very very deluded um i don't know if that's intentional i can't say that but i just know that it's so much darkness that all you can do is um pray like i i talked to a young lady so many years ago and she was saying that she had to ask church for forgiveness for getting married i said getting married she was like yes you know for getting married and it was just so backwards it was the way she was trying to explain that thing to me and the church belief about marriage it was just so backwards so you know it's so much darkness so much confusion it takes prayer they have to be praying and when they don't know to pray we have to pray for people that we know we have to spend that time asking god to bring them light through us or through someone else you know so that they can be saved amen i um i think i think that it will take an intervention of god himself and and my reason for saying this is um when i look back at at the story of Saul before he became Paul you know he was slaughtering and you know trying to kill and persecute christian believers until that day when god met him at damascus the bible says that scales fell from his eyes and and if god had never intervened we know what would have happened and, and so i think that in in our time and day that we're living in if if somebody is is entrapped by 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 lucifer his darkness you know i i think i think that only the power of god from heaven can really set that person free i i'm not saying we shouldn't pray yes we should pray but i i unless god step in in a miraculous way yeah that's what um that's what intercessory prayer is for so that God will step in on their behalf. But another thing too that was read, it said that when we acknowledge God's truth, hmm. we accept it, we've studied it, we accept it, we believe it, then it puts us on vantage ground where he can help us. Until we accept the truth, we're always gonna believe a lie. If you think about uh, immortality, again, everybody you know that has a uh, person who's passed away, they would love for them to be in heaven already. And they would love to think that everybody's going to heaven. But once you study God's word and you accept that that's not true, then no one can convince you otherwise. So when the devil has brought a person under those disbeliefs and they find the truth and they believe God's truth, that's why he can't ever get them back under it. Because the scripture says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth makes you free from believing errors. Once you know God's truth and believe it in your heart, nothing can persuade you otherwise. Just like each of us here has studied God's holy Sabbath, we believe God's word about the Sabbath. Nobody's going to be able to convince us that Sunday is the true day of worship, you know, because our hearts are made up. Our commitment is there and we won't fall under that uh, lie ever again. You know, we need to continue to study God's word to know the truth in all these other areas so that when Satan comes with these lies to us, we can again say, I know God's truth and the truth has made me free from believing these tricks and these lies 
and these errors. That's the second angel's message is to come out of Babylon. Babylon has fallen. All these lies are just that. They're just lies. Stop believing them. And only through power and grace of God and study and belief in his word will any of us ever be able to avoid Satan's tricks. And that is so true. And uh, right in that same paragraph that Percy was reading from, and, and, and I guess part of the answer to my question, and you all have answered it well, says that those people who were under the power of spiritualism should entreat those who have had a religious experience and who have faith in the promises of God to plead with the mighty deliverer in their behalf. It will be a close conflict. Satan will reinforce his evil angels who have controlled these persons. But if the saints of God with deep humility fast and pray, their prayers will prevail. Jesus will commission holy angels to resist Satan and he will be driven back and his power broken from off the afflicted ones. And he said unto them, this kind come forth only by prayer and fasting. And so um, I think that that what Lakita said and what O'Meal said is both part of you know, the answer to um, breaking free from this cloak of darkness that has been pulled around them as a result of dabbling in spiritualism. I'll put it like that. And, and the interesting thing about it is this is telling us that if you dabble, then Satan has complete control. And so don't even dabble in it because now you've got a long haul to get back out of it and get back out from under the power of Satan. Um, let's go down to paragraph 344.1. In the middle of that paragraph, she talks about the sermon which Satan preached to Eve upon immortality of the soul, that you shall not surely die, have been reiterated from the pulpit and the people receive it as pure Bible truth. And that is what is the foundation of spiritualism. And the word of God nowhere teaches that the soul of man is immortal because immortality is an attribute of God only. So I thought that was interesting because, you know, um, down through the ages, this lie that Satan told has just come down through the ages and been with mankind ever since he first told it. Eve believed it and mankind has believed it since then. And that's why you have... Uh, uh, these uh, psychics and people going to psychics and believing them and seances and people believing that they're talking to the dead and all of that because of that first lie that thou shalt not surely die. Any comments on that? I think it's also perpetuated because it's a lot of money being made in that. You know, you got your horoscope readers and the psychics and the pastors with the prayer cloths and the sacred pennies and all that kind of thing. They make a lot of money on that. So they'll mm. depress it, even though they're doing the devil's work. A lot of people know they're doing wrong, but they don't care because they're making money at it. And once right. there's a whole thing about if if you go to a psychic, if the psychic says, uh, OK, you're going to die next week, you're not going to believe that. But if the psychic says you're going to inherit $2,000 next week, all oh, the psychic, she's perfect. She knows the truth. You know, everyone mm -hmm. wants to believe a lie when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Um, 
down in the next paragraph, 344.2, middle of the paragraph, um, she's talking about how a lot of the things that um, um, things that spiritualism has led to, and she names things like um, infidelity, universalism, atheism, but she says the word of God is plain. It is a straight chain of truth and will prove an anchor to those who are willing to receive it. Even if they have to sacrifice their cherished fables, it will save them from the terrible delusions of these perilous times. And so, and then down at the bottom of that paragraph, it says the rejection of light and truth leaves men captives, the subjects of Satan's deception. The greater the light they reject, the greater will be the power of deception and darkness, which will come upon them. And uh, so that's talking again, I'm talking, uh, talking again about that cloak of darkness. And I guess at some point when that cloak of darkness has, Satan has pulled that cloak of darkness around people, um, even if they don't come and petition someone for intercessory prayer, those close to them should be um, cognizant of the fact that, you know, there's just something not right going on and um, should be fasting and praying in their behalf. Um, I had a relative who, um, she said, God told her to go to this man somewhere in Tennessee because uh, he claimed that oil was coming out of the Bible and God told her to go get some of that oil. And so my response was to pray. <laughs> And I think sometimes, even though, you know, that person may not ask for prayer, we know that, hey, that's not the truth. That's not the Lord. That's not, you know, any of that. Yeah, I was, um, I think I told you this before, but my mom, she um, was saying how she was going to Chicago because they kept doing um, demons in Chicago every week. They were tossing demons out of their and she told me, she said, girl, I can't wait till I go down to Chicago and visit her church. They throw out demons. They cast out demons every week. And I said, mom, you better stay out of that church. She's talking about why. I said, because you know the reason they toss those demons out every week is it's coming out one person going into another. I said, if you're jumping St. <laughs> Louis, getting rid of no demons up here, you're just going to be stuck. So I think we have to, you know, sometimes we think it's a show. It's just a game. You know, and that's Satan wants us to believe is that it's just a game. It's just, it's, it's nebulous and stuff. But for real, a prayer cloth is the same as a golden calf. You know, a sacred penny is the same as a golden calf. You're putting your trust in something other than God. And I'm not for sure if this will tie in here, but what about the, um, what about the, uh, those dollar tickets? What are those things at the lottery? You know, putting all that faith. I mean, it's just like sometimes you'll say and say, "Well, have you think this?" It's just a dollar. That's where it starts at. Until you put your more your house up on the mortgage and everything else, because you're following this god or this demon, uh, trying to get the next demon money. Well, money. Now, so, Sister Karen, what I did, and I have a sorority sister, and I knew she was really close with her mom. So, you know, she kept telling me, she said, you know, my mom be talking to me and stuff. And, you know, so we were just sitting around her house one day, and I just kind of said, 
I got made mention. I said, she, and you know, she. I told her, I said, well, I said, there are times, I said, when Satan still has powers. And she was like, girl, where you get that from? I said, well, I said, I'm, I said, I'm just telling you that, you know, sometimes, you know, I said, study a little harder and see if you are not hearing what, what I said. And I told her, I said, I think you're still grieving. I said, I think you hearing it because that's, that's making you feel better. I said, but in my opinion, I said, and I said, you know, just studying the Word of God. I said, if you ever need to study with me. And then, so I had finally given her a track that talked about, uh, I think I got it in, I keep one in my bathroom, what happens after death or during death or something that we have. And she kind of read it. So I was surprised when she called me. She said, you know, I let, she, she always said that little thing. She said, I, I read the little thing you left. And then, you know, and then so that sparked up a conversation. And I haven't heard her uh, uh, talk about hearing her mother in a long time. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. I have a question. Um, when you hear people saying, sow your, your seed, um, when it refers to um, investing your money into something, and it's a, I guess, a train of, or a domino effect, or what have you, is that considered spiritualism? You know what, I'll, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. I, you know what, it's, it, it sounds that way, but there are some principles behind that that's in the Bible. Give and it shall be given unto you is one of the principles. Also, you know, when we go to church and we make a pledge to the Lord as well, um, to so that... Uh, I guess usually we're pledging for some tangible thing, but I have done this, and I guess it's along the same lines. I have promised to God, if you take care of this particular financial need that I had, which I could not take care of, then when you bless me with that, you know, the finances that I needed, then I will return a 10% offering on everything, thank offering on all the monies you give that you give to me. And um, that worked out, but then the Lord told me to pay the thank offering before you receive the money. Now, that would be where you would say you're planting that seed, but the Lord asked me to give that thank offering before I received the, um, the blessing. And I did do that, and the Lord did bless me more than I expected to be blessed. And so when you get into it, it just depends on, I believe, your mindset and, and what's up under that, if you give, God has promised it should be given back to you, shaken down, pressed, and, and falling over, spilling over, et cetera. You know, even in tithing offering, it says, um, I will open up, try me, prove me now that herewith, that I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. So in giving and returning to God, there is promised blessings to that. And so that's, I don't know about the planting the seed. I have heard of that. But I believe if you make a vow to the Lord and he agrees with that vow to you because you have a relationship with him, then um, and you follow through with your portion of the vow, he's going to follow through with the promises that he's already given us. I think to add to it. I'm not talking about like if you make an oath or if you um, when you're tithing, you know, but you don't tithe just to get a blessing. You tithe because you're thankful and you're grateful and you're, you're giving that portion because God asked you to give that portion. But I'm talking about when 
you know, you have ministers. I see, I've seen them and heard them on television, on radio stations, you know, in commercials, whatever. And they say, oh, if you um, bring your offering down here, um, you will definitely walk into a blessing of a financial gift. You know, th- those type of um, sowing seeds. But is that not still a vow? Is that what well, my thing is? Is a vow between you and God, or you and the man? So if you make a vow to God. You know, it doesn't have to come through the church. But if you're at home and you're in the need and you say, Lord, you know, what should I do? And he says to you, give, you know, Karen, a certain thing or give me a, uh, a thank offering first or whatever. And you do that. That's a vow to God. I'm, and now I'm, I'm not for sure, again, about people planting seeds before the church, because it depends on are you planting that to God? Did God ask you to do that? Or did you decide to follow what this guy told you to do? And I think that's where the difference is for me anyway. One of the other things too, um, as we always come around to on this discussion class, you have to have the right relationship with God to lead you in all of your decisions. So if the Lord is telling you and you know God's voice from your experiences, if he's telling you to do it, then follow his voice. But if it's just a TV preacher telling you to do it, of course we know they may have alternative motives to build up their own TV kingdom. One of the things, uh, like Lakita's saying, is sow your seeds to God, not to man. Ask the Lord to bless you. Many times when we used to do, uh, have a garden or whatever, and they used to, I forget what they used to call it in AY, but you would pledge part of your garden to the church or, or to the, to the uh, elderly center, and the Lord would bless your garden so much that there was just overflow. Those type of things are, are pledges to God and sowing your seed to him. You got to be careful who you're sowing your seed to. You sow your seed to God, not to the casino queen. There's a lot of people are sowing their seeds at the casino queen and expecting God to bless them. That's not God's work. Always be listening and following God's Holy Spirit when he leads you in any decision, any decision. When you see a lot of these uh, televangelists, the popular um prosperity movement saying, oh, plant a seed, sow a seed today and reap a harvest tomorrow, send it down to Reverend Ike. Um, All these healing ceremonies and all these things. You have to first know that God says, first of all, if they speak not according to the law and to the testimony, that there is no light in them. Satan uses all of these things to appeal to the flesh you know, they have healing services. They've shown where, you know, Satan can put afflictions on people and he can take them off. So once they have been established that someone's been healed, then everything that comes out of their mouth is a prayer cloth. Like they can, everything they're saying is truth and they just have blind followers, you know, these empty promises. So we have to be sober and vigilant and realize that the popular things of religion today are a deception in order to lead us away from the truth. Mm-hmm. Amen. One good example too is uh, a lot of the popular ministers who say down an offering to bless you or buy this or that, that they're hawking on TV. Uh, a lot of their members are sending all their money down there and struggling to pay utility bills. Meanwhile, the pastor's riding in a private jet. Mm-hmm. You really have to pay attention and be knowledgeable like we're just reading about the devil has many tricks to take your mind and your time off of God again 
Listen for God's spirit to lead you. Don't let other people lead you. Let God lead you. Amen. Um, if I may add to to um, what I what I what I do understand is that the devil is very influential, and um, we have to be careful, you know, because um, unless unless we we use the word to guard the avenues of our heart, then what he will do is influence influence us in such a way. To, to convince us to, 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 to choose his way. Um, the, the, topic of, the topic of this class is the, the power of Satan. And, and he has great power that we, can, we can't even imagine. And, and so when he, when he influenced these people to, do, um, to use their money otherwise or to use their talents otherwise, then you know, God is not getting no glory from it. It, it, is, it is man. And so I think, I think, I think what we can do, what we can or should do as, as believers of God is to just, um, is just use the word, use the word as, as our defense and our shield to just, to just guide our hearts from, from, from a person who tries to influence, influence us otherwise from God. Amen. Amen to that. Um, and uh, I want to move to the next paragraph and the paragraph after that, uh, paragraph 345.1. And she talks about God's people being the true salt of the earth and the light of the world. And God requires his people to continually advance in the knowledge of truth and in holiness. And it says, then they will understand the coming in of Satan and in the strength of Jesus will resist him. Satan will call to his aid legions of his angels to oppose the advance of even one soul and if possible to wrest them from the hand of Christ. And these evil angels, next paragraph, are contending for the souls and the angels of God are resisting them. She said the conflict was severe. Evil angels were corrupting the atmosphere with their poisonous influence and crowding about these souls to stupefy their sensibilities. Holy angels were anxiously watching and waiting to drive back Satan's host. But, she says, it is not the work of good angels to control the minds of men against their will. If they yield to the enemy and make no effort to resist him, then the angels of God can do but little more than hold in check the host of Satan that they shall not destroy until further light be given to those in peril to move them to arouse and look to heaven for help. And this one just really struck me. Jesus will not commission holy angels to extricate those who make no effort to help themselves. Mm. That's a really strong statement right there, you know? Um, and I remember just always hearing God helps those who helps themselves. And this statement is confirming that fact that if they, you know, just are going along with Satan, they don't call on the Lord for help. They don't even recognize the darkness that, that they've been enveloped in. And they just continue in a wrong path or a path that, you know, a lot of times the enemy doesn't even have to, to do much to, to get us to fall because of our of our of our sinful inclinations to begin with and so um he is pleased when he can get us to delight in 
the things of darkness rather than the things of light. And you know, Sister Karen, I look back into growing up. I mean, in my teen years, I thought I was just so invisible. Nothing can do, you know, nothing can harm me. Nothing's going to do. And and what I didn't realize was God had his hand around me then with all the prayers of my family members and stuff. And then I got to the point, I'm going to do my own thing. Don't nobody tell me what to do. And I said, and then as I got older and I looked back and I said, God is so good. Because at any moment back then in those times, God could have said, I'm through with this. I'm going to let her go on to sleep. I'm not going to give her a chance to keep acting a fool. Mm. So I just, I just, you know, every day I thank God for his mercy and his grace. Because, I just, like I said, I just look back and I say, I thank you, God. I'm not where I want, it, want where I should be, but at least I'm not headed back in those dark paths. And I'm like, and Lord, keep the Holy Spirit, keep my mind focused on you so I can move forward in the way you would have me to go. Absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. Amen. God is good and his mercy endureth forever. And I think, I think, Patsy, that we can all say that same thing, that, you know, there are things in our, that we've done growing up and in our past that we were not particularly proud of and that, you know, we recognize that the wages of sin is death. But God in his goodness and God in his mercy has allowed us to continue on because he was doing something in us, because he was working on us. And, and, and we have everything to be thankful for in that regard. That's also what we're talking about with how important intercessory prayer is. While we're out there doing our thing, somebody prayed for me and had me on their mind. And as you read, Karen, the angels have an opportunity to bring more light to you. God is holding back the winds of strife in your life so that he can reach you because of those fervent prayers of a righteous man, which it says really makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to ask somebody to read this next paragraph, the whole paragraph, paragraph 345.3. Anybody that has it can just read it. If Satan sees that he is in danger of losing one soul, he will exert himself to the utmost to keep that one. And when the individual is aroused to his danger and with distress and fervor looks to Jesus for strength, Satan fears that he will lose a captive. And he, and he calls a reinforcement of his angels to hedge in the poor soul and form a wall of darkness around him that heaven's light may not reach him. But if the one in danger perseveres and in his helplessness casts himself upon the merits of the blood of Christ, our Savior listens to the earnest prayer of faith and sends a reinforcement of those angels that excel in strength to deliver him. Satan cannot endure to save, to have his powerful rival appealed to, for he fears and trembles before his strength and majesty. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. He continues to call legions of evil angels to accomplish his object. And when angels all powerful, close with the army of heaven, come to the help of the fainting pursued soul, Satan and his host fall back, well knowing that their battle is lost. The willing subjects of Satan are faithful, active, and united in one object. And although they hate and war with one another, yet they improve every opportunity to advance their common interests. But the great commander in heaven and earth has limited Satan's power. We need to say amen, amen. and amen, amen. <laughs> to that. Amen. And, and, and be thankful, one and all, um, 
for God's deliverance, you know, um, when, when, when we are, it says the earnest, the fervent earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And this is what this is talking about, that, that when we uh, petition God, when we know that we're in trouble or someone that we love is in trouble and we petition God earnestly, it, that, that fervent prayer, then Satan trembles and God sends holy angels to deliver. Praise God for that. Praise the Lord. I thought it was kind of funny where I was saying the, well, that part wasn't funny, but what I thought about was where it says that the angels, the evil angels, even though they hate and fight and war with each other, they still come together to accomplish a common goal. Uh, they're com Absolutely. And I was thinking it was funny that the Congress of the United States doesn't even do that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's it, they're not even as good as the evil angels. Right. When when you mention it, uh, remember the Tower of Babel, where God said, let me go down here and see what they are doing, because even evil people, when they are united, there's nothing they can't accomplish. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that says a lot in the, in the opposite for God's people, that if we are united and if we. Um, through prayer and fasting and through gaining that mustard seed side, that, that mustard seed size faith, there is nothing we would not be able to accomplish. Nothing. And I'm going to end it uh, with uh, a sentence out of the last paragraph. It says, I saw, oh, I'm sorry. Let me back up a little bit. Sister White was talking about how um, she just, she was, I guess, tired of just, you know, just being uh, sought by Satan in various ways to destroy their usefulness. And she wondered why God didn't just step in. And um, she just was sort of in a, in a place of, you know, I don't know why, you know, Lord, we're doing your work. Why are you allowing this to happen to us? You know, and then she was shown how many times God had protected them when Satan wanted to destroy them in the work that they were doing. And she said, uh, down near the bottom, she said, I saw that we have been the special objects of Satan's attacks because of our interest in and connection with the work of God. And she saw the great care which God had every moment for those who love and fear him. And she said, I was inspired with confidence and trust in God and felt reproved for her lack of faith. So, you know, we know that, that, that the enemy is not really that concerned about those who are walking with him. He, but he is opposed to those who turn and face him. Uh, but hopefully we're not facing him in our own strength. We are facing him with Jesus standing between us and him. Jesus is ever before us. And as long as we keep Jesus ever before us, we have that protection and we can claim all the promises in the Bible that, that were written for us. And um, because of that, then, you know, we can certainly be thankful that, that God has brought us to this point. And as someone mentioned, he hasn't, well, I think Pastor, you mentioned this, he has not ended our lives. And so we have so much to be thankful for, despite the power of Satan, 
Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen. 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 All right. Um, we're going to close out with this. Omil, can you give us our closing prayer? Okay. Um, let us pray. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to, to just study your words together. We pray, oh, God, that uh, whatever we have read and whatever we have studied this afternoon, oh, God, it will be applicable in our lives, you know, onward. God, I thank you, Lord, for, for this platform that we can, you know, spread the message of salvation to the world. Lord, I pray, God, that you will just guide us and be with us as we go through another untried week that is ahead of us. Lord, we know not what will happen to us, but we know that your hands of protection and mercy hovers over us. So God, I pray that you will be with each and every individual who is on this line. I pray, God, that they're going out and they're coming in, oh God, you'll be safe. I pray, God, that you will arise in us a spirit, oh God, that is beyond our expectation. God, as we make ourselves available week after week, I pray, God, that you will use us for your glory and your glory only. Be with us, be with our families and our friends. This is my prayer with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, I pray and pray thanks. Amen. 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 Lee, Everybody. Hello, Tops family. If you get a chance, just, I'm just letting you know that the Alton Seventh-day Adventist Church, they are open. And they have Sabbath school at 930. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, Lee, would you tell us what we're studying next week? Uh, next week, we're in last day's events, and it's going to be the chapter, the latter rain. That's chapter 13, online version, and I believe 26 in the paperback. So the latter rain. Uh, everybody wants to know what it is, when it is, who gets it, how do they get it. So we'll be able to get some of those questions answered next time. Amen. Okay. Okay. Right, be Amen. Blessed. Be safe. All right. Amen. Okay, for those those of you who are members of Top, remember our Zoom meeting tomorrow. And then for those of you who want to participate in the activity after that, be sure you're at the church at one thirty. All right. All right. Be blessed. Bye. Bye.